Here's Barbara Rainey talking about one of the most familiar verses in the entire Bible. John 3.16 is a verse we typically see printed on a poster board in center field at a baseball game or perhaps at a football game. People hold that verse up when, in truth, many people may not know even what it is. But we don't typically think of that verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We don't usually think of that verse when we think of Christmas. We think of Luke 2. We think of the shepherds. We think of uh, verses that talk about Bethlehem. But we don't typically think of that verse in relation to Christmas. But I started thinking about how it has all of the elements of the Christmas story contained in that one verse. Merry Christmas and welcome to Ever Thine Home with Barbara Rainey, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience God in your home. I'm so glad you're joining us today. You know, Christmas is a time of year when we spend a lot of time thinking about gifts, don't we? Christmas times for presents. Gifts we're giving and gifts we might receive. Well, have you thought about the gift God has already given you? For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us, ever Barbara is an artist as well as an author. She loves to paint. And as she thought through John 3.16 and its connection to the Christmas story, it got her creative juices flowing. What I did is I took that verse and took each phrase of that verse and wrote some meditations on it and then painted some of the images that are contained in those individual phrases and... um, tied it all together around the story of Christmas. Yeah, in fact, let me just read one of these uh, meditations. This is Barbara's husband, Dennis Rainey, reading what Barbara wrote as she thought about those first two words in John 3.16, for God. Christmas is all about God. It was his stunning idea. In the beginning, before time began, no one had seen the Father, the all-seeing one, the three-in-one, the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, who sees and hears and knows all, yet loves his children. With God, nothing is impossible. A virgin birth, God of the universe in infant form, a perfect life, nothing is too difficult for God. Barbara says the inspiration didn't hit her suddenly. It's not the kind of thing where I sat down and looked at it one day and meditated on it and thought, I wonder what I can find in there. It really is a process of having um, done a lot of Bible study through the years and realizing um, that, that there's so much more wrapped up in each of those phrases than what we think. Yeah, and as I watched Barbara do the watercolors for each of these and meditate on John 3:16 and begin to really think about bringing Christmas alive in fresh ways. I begin to be captured by her imagination because she, as she was writing these things, she was forcing me to think as you talk about God's love that it's really more than we kind of compartmentalize it in just a, a simple word called love. It has to do with his kindness 
his compassion, his attitude toward us. And, and, and really, that's what she's done as she's put this together, both in art form and in her, her meditations that she's written. She brings it alive with words that force us to think about Christmas in a totally different way. I think it's interesting that as well known as the verse is, that we don't associate it with Christmas. And yet it talks about God giving a gift. And it talks about why he did that, and it was because of his love. And so basically what I did is wrote an amplification of what his love means, an amplification of what what the essence of the world is in that verse. And I borrowed phrases from other places in Scripture because there are certain phrases, like one of my very, very favorite phrases in Scripture comes out of Hebrews, and it's the phrase, once for all. Jesus paid the penalty for us once for all. And so I took phrases like that, and that phrase is in, is in one of these sections because they're, they're such powerful, potent phrases. And when we tend to read over them quickly as a part of the verse that they're in, but if you focus on the phrase by itself, perhaps in another context, you might understand it better or appreciate it in a way that you might not have just reading it in the context that we're used to seeing it in. Biblical meditation involves filling your mind with right thinking. It's the exact opposite of meditation in Eastern mysticism, which says basically you need to empty your mind. There are a lot of different analogies for what it means to meditate biblically. Some have compared it to chewing the cud of wholesome spiritual food. Barbara says for her, studying John 3.16 is like examining the facets of a beautifully cut diamond. Yeah, it was just pulling it together and looking at that verse from a different angle. And, you know, there's an old hymn that says, I love to tell the story. My theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. And I realized that as believers, one of the things God wants us to do is always be telling the story, but always telling the gospel story in new and different, fresh, creative ways that might speak to someone in a way that the story they previously heard didn't speak to them. So it was it was fun to do this. It was exciting to do this, to take a verse that's not usually associated with Christmas and yet contains the heart of the gospel and to sort of retell it or amplify it so that perhaps someone who might know John 3.16 really well might see it in a new light and might understand the gospel in a way that they hadn't understood before. It both tells a simple story of the gospel, but it does it in a fresh, compelling, visual way that is pleasant. It's a masterpiece done around John 3.16, which is, frankly, one of the great masterpieces in all of Scripture. Not that any passage of Scripture is better than another, but it just seems like nothing really gives us the essence of what God's doing on the planet more than that verse. Artistically speaking, Barbara found it stimulating. It was a good exercise for me to decide that I wanted to do a heart, for instance, to represent God's love. Well, that's pretty ordinary, and that's pretty commonly understood that hearts represent God's love. But how could I do a heart so that it was unique and not just a plain red heart? So I I had to really kind of stretch my brain and my vision to come up with some creative ways to draw a heart that didn't look like Valentine's, but still communicated the love of God. 
One of them is a red heart with some snowflakes. Another one is much more intricate, and it has some... I tried to capture some themes, biblical themes, in one of these hearts so that it wasn't just a plain, solid red heart. So it has a, a red cord that made me think of Rahab's scarlet cord that she let out. And that theme of the red thread is woven through Scripture. And um, there's a star and a, a shaft of wheat, a stalk of wheat. And so, anyway, some other things that I wanted to try to represent, biblical themes. There's some Christmas lights, and Jesus is the light of the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's the essence of why we give. I mean, we Christmas sometimes can feel very depressing to people because we feel obligated and we feel under so much stress um, to come up with gifts for people and to give and yet we forget that the whole motivation for giving in the first place is love Mm. and that God is the first one who gave and he is the one who taught us to give he's the one who initiated giving at Christmas and we forget that sometimes and so I'm hoping that this will remind people that giving is biblical and giving is what Christmas really is all about and it's a good thing to give at Christmas. And, and to do it around what Christmas is about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is one of the most powerful promises in all of Scripture. Think about it. What could be any more important than where a person is going to spend eternity? And that really is what Christmas is all about. It's all about. Mm-hmm. Because without God dwelling among us in the person of Jesus Christ— uh, our destiny was was sealed. We had no hope. To those who don't know Christ, they have no assurance of heaven. And um, that's what you've written about here and how you point people back to that gift. One of the reasons why God has given us holidays is to build a sense of tradition into our families that we celebrate and we go back and revisit and also gives us a place that's safe in the culture to be able to connect with people around some of the great messages of the Bible. Easter is a great time to talk about Christ. Thanksgiving is one of the great biblical themes in all of Scripture. And now Christmas, talk about gift giving. How can you talk about gift giving if you don't talk about gift with a, with a capital G? The gift who became uh, flesh and who who lived out a perfect life and who taught us how to live. And, you know, I I would just encourage people uh, in your neighborhoods and at work and with your family, be a light. Point people back, and I hate to be trite here, but point people back to the reason for the season. Christ came for a purpose to redeem those people. And uh, uh, I think we need to make that known. Barbara's poetry and prose and paintings were put together in a book she titled When Christmas Came. Even though that book is no longer in print, in a moment I'll tell you more about how you can view it online. So there's a heart to represent God so loved. There's a globe for the world. And the painting of a gift stands for the phrase that he gave. Barbara explains how she chose to depict the phrase his only son. You know, that was an interesting one to do because typically you would think a manger, and that's typically associated with Jesus. But I wanted to do something a little unique, and I decided to do baby feet. 
And uh, so the illustration that represents uh, the baby Jesus is baby feet, which is typical of what new parents do. They inspect fingers and toes. <laughs> and so I painted some baby feet, and they're laying on some straw, so it does look a little bit like a manger. There's some symbolism to those baby feet that goes beyond uh, this illustration that we'll explain before the broadcast is over. Now, for the phrase, that whoever believes, Barbara chose an analogy Jesus used to describe himself. The door, and it represents the uh, fact that each of us has to make a choice mm -hmm. about Jesus. God gave the gift. He gave him freely to anyone who wants to receive. But as in any gift at Christmas, if I gave you a gift at Christmas, you would have to reach your hands out and take it from me. Even if I threw it at you, if you didn't grab it, it would not be yours. And so the door represents the fact that each of us individually has to make a choice as to what we're going to do with the gift that God gave. Will we receive it or not? And as I watch Barbara draw the door, this was one of the more challenging illustrations in the book because what she wanted to do here, and I watched her struggle with this, was show the door open with light from the outside in but not wide open, mm -hmm. but just, just beginning, cracked. just beginning Tiny to bit. be open. And you know, in sharing our faith with other people, I think we forget that people begin to open that door and some throw it wide open and they welcome the Savior in. Others, it's more of a process and it's more mm -hmm. of a little bit by little bit, they open the door so the light shines in and ultimately they do receive the Savior as their Lord and Master. When it came to graphically representing the phrase, should not perish, Barbara says that wasn't easy. Well, it was really one of the more challenging elements to figure out how to represent, and we will not perish. But I thought about a verse in Hebrews um, that is also one of my favorite verses, and there's a phrase, and it's in Hebrews 6, and it talks about how Jesus is the anchor for our soul. And I thought, you know, in hard times and difficult times, what we need is something that keeps us secure, something that keeps us from feeling like we're going to be blown to bits. And an anchor does that. An anchor does that for ships. And there are many references biblically to ships and to storms. And, and so I thought, even though we don't use the sea as our primary transportation as they did in biblical times, nonetheless, we all know what an anchor does. Everyone knows that an anchor is what keeps a ship stable. If we have Christ, He is our anchor, and He will keep us from being shaken and moved, and He will keep us secure no matter what life brings. Yeah, in fact, let me read the passage because uh, it, it's, it's really a pretty good passage. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17, uh, well, through the end of the chapter. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And it's talking there about Jesus 
being the anchor of our soul. And it's, it's cool where Barbara found an anchor, Mackinac Island. There's an anchor that we spotted on our way off the island when we left. And uh, I took a bunch of pictures of it, and uh, Barbara painted it. And it's an old mariner's anchor that was ancient and big. It was big as was, a human being. Oh, it was, I would, would say it was over six feet. And it had this huge cross beam of wood. And the wood was rotted on the ends, and it was scarred, and it was black. And it just made me think of the cross of Christ because this anchor had this huge cross beam. And so I thought that's a perfect image because an anchor does have a little bit of resemblance to the cross. And so I thought that made it even better. So the anchor, it represents that we will not perish. And finally, but have eternal life. That was really the hardest because no one has seen heaven. None of us have been there, so we don't know what it looks like. But we have some hints. I really like what she chose here. This was cool. Yeah, we have some hints of what it will be like, um, and we have some hints of what will happen when we go there. And one of the things that will happen when we go there is there will be the sound of a trumpet. So I painted a trumpet because um, that's very clear in Scripture that at the sound of the trumpet, we will go to be with Jesus. Mm. So there's a trumpet, but I also um, decided to paint an image of a lion because Jesus is the Lion of Judah. And um, I've been rereading recently all of the Narnia books. As you may know, C.S. Lewis's allegorical series, The Chronicles of Narnia, takes place in the land of Narnia, and the character who is the Christ figure in those stories is a lion named Aslan. I thought, you know, it's been years since I've read those, since we don't have kids at home anymore. So I started at the beginning and kept reading through them. And just the image of Aslan, it just is such a compelling image of who Christ is, the strength and and the, the power of who he is. So um, Everlasting Life actually has two images. It has the image of the lion and the image of the trumpet. Well, God promises that his word will accomplish things. It doesn't return to him void or empty. Barbara says thinking long and hard about John 3.16 bore fruit in her life, too. Yeah, I think one of the things that was interesting, because as most projects go, this one evolved. Um, It changed. It grew. It had lots of different iterations. But one of the things that I realized as I wrote some of the prose pieces that go with the meditation pieces is that it was really interesting to reflect back on my life as a child because I loved Christmas intensely as a child and most children do so I wasn't unusual on that but as I thought back to what it was like as a kid I had this longing every year at Christmas for it to last. I didn't want it to be over. I didn't like it when it was over. It was depressing to put all the decorations away. It just felt boring when it was over. And I realized going through the process of writing this that God put that there. He wanted me to want Christmas to last forever. He wants Christmas to last forever for all of us. That's why he sent Jesus, because Christmas can last forever. But I didn't understand that as a child. I didn't understand that until I heard the gospel clearly presented to me in college when I heard for the first time that I had a choice about the gift of Jesus. And again, that wasn't tied into the Christmas message either, but it was it was really interesting to see as I reflected on this verse how um, what I'd always felt all of my life about Christmas lasting 
was really put there by God. He was calling me, and I think that's true for all of us. He calls all of us every year at Christmas. Year after year after year, He's calling people to Himself through the celebration of the holiday. Yeah. Here is radio veteran, pastor, and author Bob Lapine reading one of Barbara's meditations from her book, When Christmas Came. Well, you start off by quoting from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and this is the fawn, Mr. Tumnus, speaking to Lucy. And he says, Why, it is she that has got all Narnia under her thumb, talking about the White Witch. It is she that makes it always winter, always winter and never Christmas. Think of that. And you go on to say, I wholeheartedly agree with Lucy's response, which is, how awful. I remember how weary I would get when winter in the Chicago area would never seemed to end, sometimes running into March or even April. It stayed cold and gray and lifeless so long. Still, I can't imagine living in uninterrupted winter. And no Christmas? Truly dreadful. Today, we mark time by the birth of Christ. Our calendars are ordered against that pivotal event in history. But for centuries, the world truly was locked in a state of perpetual winter. There was no Christmas. Just as C.S. Lewis's imagery in the land of Narnia was frozen under an evil enchantment with no hope of coming springtime thaw, so our world was plagued by a chilling curse that petrified the hearts of humanity. That long winter produced lives of futility, void of light, life, and color, without the expectation of Christmas. This was the condition of the world into which Christ was born, and such is the state of each human being on our planet who has not received the gift of Christmas. God never does anything by chance or without intentionality. He never makes mistakes. It was not a random event. It was, in fact, quite on purpose that God determined the exact season, the exact moment, the exact location for the introduction of his son to our cold, bleak world. Christmas came during the winter solstice, the darkest days of the year. At the dreariest hour, God broke through the darkness of our winter with the great and eternal light of his Son. God invites us in the darkest days to embrace light and warmth and hope, to leave winter behind, and to welcome Christmas into our world. Christmas is about the world because God's love never ends, and it is enough for us all. containing Barbara's meditations on John 3.16, along with her poems and watercolor illustrations, is called When Christmas Came. Even though it's no longer in print, you might still be able to find used copies of it online, and you can view an online version of When Christmas Came at everthinehome.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to Barbara's blog. Here are Barbara and Dennis once again to close our time today. I mentioned earlier that... uh the feet of Jesus, the, the baby's feet had symbolism not only for him in the manger, but also other symbolism. And um, 
there's a surprise that uh, we just wanted to offer here because uh, our daughter and her husband, Rebecca and Jake, this book was dedicated to someone very special to them. I dedicated this book to Rebecca and Jacob's daughter, Molly, who was born in June uh, of 08, and she lived seven days and then died. And I was already working on this project when Molly was born, and we spent that week with her, um, had the privilege of being there for all seven days of her life. And um, one of the things that Jacob and Rebecca got to do, and we did as well, was get her handprints and her footprints. And most hospitals do that anyway. They put a hand, put a footprint on some kind of certificate. And the day that they decided to make Molly's handprints and footprints, they got it on several different pieces of paper. And then the idea began to spread by Dennis. He started it. He said, could you put her handprints and feet prints in my Bible? And the nurse said, sure. And so everybody scrambled to get their Bibles, and so we all now have Molly's hand and feet prints in our Bible. But after all of that was over and we were back home, and I was thinking, how can I illustrate the baby Jesus? I thought about Molly, and I thought about her footprints. And so I painted Molly's footprints because we had them as baby Jesus' footprints. So the the image of the baby Jesus' footprints are really Molly's footprints. I decided to dedicate the book to Molly because the hope of Christmas is what it's all about. The hope of Christmas Mm -hmm. is that we will see her again, and we will. So that is the joy that God gave us when he gave us the gift of Jesus Christ. We can have hope, and that gives us joy in living today, um, being separated from her and still grieving the loss of this precious grandchild. But we have hope, and that's the message of Christmas. Yeah, in fact, uh, here's the dedication. This book is dedicated to uh, Molly Ann Mutz, my namesake, my precious granddaughter, who because Christmas came, we will see again one day when all things will be made new. June 13 to June 19, 2008. And you know, For those who uh, have been alive for, uh, I'd say, more than four or five decades, they begin to understand that heaven looks better and better. And those who have lost children or lost a loved one also know that the reality of what the book's about, John 3.16, is really the hope of the world. Christmas is not about Christmas lights and gifts and candy canes it's certainly fun to have those things and uh, we enjoy those things but it is about celebrating redemption who became flesh and uh, who paid the price to get us into heaven and uh, that's what we need to be celebrating and uh, it's becoming more meaningful with each passing year Merry Christmas from Ever Thine Home with Barbara Rainey.